thousand generations of Jedi Knights and Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 1.25, SWOTOR Epilogue to episode 7.7. This epilogue covers the events of Echoes of Oblivion, the most recent SWOTOR content update for the Onslaught story expansion, which was released on December 9th, 2020. This epilogue will be added to the end of episode 7.7 for those listening, though the through for those listening through for the first time but we're also releasing it as a standalone episode to make it easier for everyone to catch up so with all that in mind enjoy epilogue time well bioware added new content to the game so here's your epilogue Swotor couldn't even wait until 2021 and released its latest content update, Echoes of Oblivion, for the Onslaught story expansion on December 9th, 2020. You might be inclined to think that Echoes of Oblivion will be the last Swotor update because it resolves all but one of the outstanding questions we had at the end of episode 7.7. Of course, that one loose end is Darth Malgus, and he's been an antagonist since... uh, since the game was first released back in 2011, so they'll almost certainly release additional content after early 2021 because Malgus is such a big deal and the ending of Echoes of Oblivion sets it up. As of February 16th, 2021, the date of this the date this epilogue is being recorded, there's been no official announcement about the future of Swotor and whether or not more content updates or expansions are forthcoming. We will come back and add another epilogue if and when the if and when the next content update update is released. So with that out of the way, let's get to this delicious delicious content. In Echoes of Oblivion, the player once again assumes the role of the commander and serves as the protagonist. We will of course be doing a light side run just like we have for everything else. The commander is initially joined by Scourge and Jedi Knight Kira Carson as companions but is then joined by dozens more allies who they get to fight beside. Echoes of Oblivion goes to great lengths to bring back almost every important character from the series with the exclusion of Malgus and, oddly, Koth Fortina. We've got Lana Benico and Theron Sean, of course, as well as Arkan, Sinya Taral, Valen, Revan's Force Ghost, Mitra Surik's Force Ghost, Mandalore the Avenger, Darth Maher's Force Ghost, and many more. How is that all possible? Well, roughly 99% of this update takes place in Satil Shan's mind, so the dead can wield lightsabers and anything goes. They all gather to oppose Valkorian's last, desperate attempt to resurrect himself. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. The new update picks up days after the Republic and Jedi's successful defense of the Meridian Complex on Corellia in 3626. The Battle of Corellia shattered the remaining Truceth fleet and very likely consigned the Empire to the dustbin of history, to the dustbin of galactic history, though we don't know if the Third Galactic War was officially, has officially ended just yet. However, there is still the matter of finding and rescuing Jedi Grandmaster Satel Shan and her Jedi students. If you've just finished episode 7.7 and you're wondering why we're doing a recap for details we covered 10 minutes ago, this epilogue will also be released as a standalone episode, so we had to set the the stage for listeners 
who already finished our SWOTOR series some time ago. You'll recall that Sean and her six Padawans had been infected with the Sith Plague after rescuing Kira Carson and Scourge in 3627. The duo had been comatose for more than two years after unwittingly unleashing the Sith Plague by destroying Valkorion's original pure-blood Sith body. Carson and Scourge were immunized from the worst effects of the plague because they had been possessed by the Sith Emperor, but each was left comatose. Unfortunately, Shan and her six students had no such immunity and were immediately infected after reviving Scourge and Carson. The plague worked by creating a hive mind amongst its victims, which would allow Valkorion to manifest in their minds and once again assume physical form. In order to stop the spread, Carson and Scourge placed Shan and her students into stasis and quarantined all seven individuals aboard a ship traveling through the uninhabited sectors of the Outer Rim. In early 3626, Scourge and Carson returned to known space and met with the commander immediately following the Battle of Corellia. By then, they had lost contact with the quarantined ship and were worried for the safety of Shan and her students. Given the very real-world pandemic, BioWare has, understandably, moved away from terminology centered on plagues and vaccinations, so in Echoes of Oblivion, the Sith Plague is now called Tenebrae's Curse and referred to more in terms of being the result of Sith magic released when the pure blood body, when his original pure blood Sith body was destroyed instead of a deadly pathogen. But enough of that recap, let's get on with the action. Echoes of Oblivion begins when the Astromech T701 piloting a ship through the outer rim in search of the missing quarantine ship containing Sean and her students. After some fruitless searching, T7 finally hit pay dirt and sent word back to the commander, Kira Carson, and Scourge on Odessan. However, during the call, T7's ship was attacked and the transmission dropped, causing everyone on Odessan to spring into action. Scourge and Carson suspect that the Emperor's hand is behind the attack on T7 as they want to resurrect the Sith Emperor no matter what. Initially, the Commander Scourge and Carson vow to go alone so that no one else will be possessed and turned by Valkorion's spirit, but it won't be that easy. Theron Shan demands to join the mission to do everything possible to save his mother, while Arkan and Sinya Tural say that they will go to help, help defeat Valkorion once and for all. Lana Benico wants to go but can't, but, but can't because she hadn't been previously, previously possessed and is force-sensitive, something Valkorion would feed upon. Benico stays behind on Odessan while the rest of the group travel to the quarantine ship in an unknown outer rim system. There they find no trace of T7's ship, but are attacked by members of the Emperor's Hand, whose ship was quickly shot down by Arcan and Senya's shuttle. The ship's then docked with the ship with the quarantine ship containing Sean and her students. The Emperor's hand members the Emperor's hand members controlled the ship, but their efforts to access the Jedi within were frustrated for days by an unknown entity that was later revealed to have been T seven. The Emperor's Hand were a secretive dark side organization who served Valkor who served Valkorian alone and have been seeking ways to resurrect him for years. Each member was force sensitive and they were given numerical ranks based based upon their order of entry into the Emperor's Hand organization. Back in episode 7.4, we met Servant 1 and Servant 2 during the Sith Warriors class character storyline. That was in 3642, but 16 years later, the longest serving member is Servant 4, who is leading the attack on a quarantine ship. She is accompanied by Servants 15 and 22, both of whom are killed, killed by Scourge shortly after boarding. 
the group split up and jettisoned all the group split up to search the ship and jettisoned all life craft and ships to prevent anyone from being affected and it's and escaping during the search the commander and scourge found the bodies of members of the signs of zakul a group of seers loyal to valkorion they were then confronted by the force ghost of revan who said that valkorion was trying to make himself remake himself in satil shan's mind Valkorion planned to hollow out Sean's mind, use her body as a vessel for his spirit, and then rule the galaxy. It soon became apparent that Revan had been secretly leading Scourge on the search, and that Scourge kept it a secret because Kira didn't trust Revan after all that dark side stuff in the Shadow of Revan expansion. With the ship secured and all escape routes locked down, the commander and their allies converged on the bridge. They arrived just as the remaining members of the Emperor's Hand gained entry to Satil and her Padawans and placed their body in a ritualistic formation with Shan in the center and six students encircling their master. Servant Four is in the process of killing the last of the Scions of Zakul, who had been protecting the Jedi from corruption by the Emperor's Hand. As the last Scion dies, the three remaining servants each die in turn, and just like that, all of Valkorion's remaining adherents have been defeated. All that's left is to enter Satil Shan's Mind Palace and finally, permanently, hopefully, kill Valkorion. We learn that Shan and four of her Padawans are all clinging to life while two of the others had already died. The group acted quickly and the commander, Kira Carson Scourge, Sunya Tyrol, and Arkan each took position around the comatose Jedi. Kira would lead them in deep meditation, which they would use to enter Satil's mind and attempt to destroy their enemy within. Theron Sean opted to look after the ship and protect everyone because he didn't want to venture inside his mother's mind. As the group meditates together, they enter Satil's mind but are separated, save for the commander and Carson, who wake up next to one another. Sean's mind is represented as a place of floating platforms of, ra- of craggy rocks and stones with purple storm clouds passing in the background. It honestly kind of looks like Malachor 5 did in KOTOR 2, though obviously not as unfinished. As the commander and Kira begin searching for the others, they encounter Valkorion, though he doesn't seem to recognize them at first. It's clear that this is Valkorion, but he has none of his memories. It, this, it's clear that this is Valkorion and that he has none of his memories, but is able, but he is able to tap into Satil Shan's memories to discover their identities. Valkorion summons dark side entities to aid him, but, com- but the commander and Carson still have their lightsabers, which they use to successfully defeat Valkorion. Of course, he would not die so easily. Dusting off his hands, Valkorion mocks his Jedi opponent and is soon joined by, two, by his two other known guises, the form of the Sith Emperor and the form of Tenebrae. Players remember the Sith Emperor as the main antagonist of the original story of Sotor, who was killed in 3640 by the Hero of Titan. However, this is our first look at Tenebrae in his original pure-blood Sith body, and he is gloriously shirtless. Yes, Carson and Scourge found and destroyed his body, but that's something the player learns about from dialogue after the fact. There's not even a cutscene, we just know they found the body and destroyed it. But now we see Tenebrae, and his muscular red, red skin is imprinted with the ritual that made this meeting possible. He's wearing ceremonial Sith garments, much like Naga Sadal wore in Tales of the Jedi, and Carson soon realizes that this is all Tenebrae's doing. The reason Valkorion didn't know them is because Tenebrae didn't know them before he left his original body over 1,000 years ago. 
The markings in his skin weren't ritualized carvings, but an imprint of Tenebrae's very essence, which is what infected Carson and Scourge when they destroyed the body. Tenebrae declares that the other, his other versions were imperfect and too worried with mortal concerns such as empires and families. Neither Valkorian nor the Sith Emperor is calling the shots here. Instead, each is subservient to Tenebrae, and he aimed to succeed where they had failed, utilizing all three forms to resurrect himself within Sean's body. The commander and Carson fought all three forms briefly, but were put on the defense and encircled. Then Valkorian declared that they controlled Shan's mind completely, and the Sith Emperor form separated the commander in a blinding flash of light. The commander woke alone in a new location within Sean's mind and was set upon by the Tenebrae form, but was saved at the last moment by the Force Ghost of Revan. Using his familiar purple lightsaber, Revan slashed through, slashed through as the Tenebrae form disappeared. And before you ask, yes, Force Ghost of a long-dead Jedi can wield lightsabers in Satel's mind. Revan then declared that they had to fight together to save Satil and themselves, and for the first time in the Old Republic, the player character gets to fight alongside Revan. You're not fighting against you're not fighting against Revan or hearing about Revan's one of one of Revan's duels. You're fighting with him as a companion, and no matter how contrived the circumstances, that's pretty damn cool. Revan and the commander battled the Sith Emperor, who conjured a number of shades, malevolent, malevolent beings of pure dark side energy, to fight alongside him. The Sith Emperor and his shades are quickly defeated, but the other two forms of Tenebrae appear and encircle our heroes, but just as things started to look grim, an old friend appeared to help. Stepping out of the ether, the Force Ghost of Mitra Surik declared that Tenebrae's time was at an end, and Scourge arrived to reinforce the message. Seeing that he was outnumbered, Tenebrae once again shifted Satel's mind in a bright flash of light, and the commander woke up alone again. But he wasn't alone for but he wasn't alone for long as the Force Ghost of Darth Mar arrived to join the fight. Mar tells the commander that Tenebrae can control Satil's mind in limited fashion, but he is only a duplicate of his original self. Tenebrae can mine Satil for and her students' memories for knowledge, but he lacks the wisdom that usually comes with such experiences. Mar says that although Tenebrae is an inferior duplicate of the original, he is still the most dangerous be being in the galaxy. Mar says that everyone linked to Satil's mind must unite to destroy Tenebrae, and they must do so at the center of Satil's mind. Then, oddly, Darth Maul shifted Satil's mind in a blinding flash of light, and the commander woke up alone once again. The commander awakens in a different location, but this one has grass growing on the jagged, otherwise desolate landscape. In the background, a recreation of the Jedi High Temple on Tython lies in the center of Sean's mind. But before the commander can reach it, their path is blocked by the three forms of Tenebrae as well as the force ghosts of Valen and Thexen, Arkan's two dead siblings. The commander is soon joined by Senya Tural and Arkan, but Senya and Valen are still on bad terms. Valen refuses to help, claiming that she was only there because Thexen dragged her out of the netherworld of the force. However, during this encounter, Senya realizes she must admit her own mistakes to Valen and try to make things right. Senya confesses that she was scared to act against Valkorion to stop her husband from caging and constraining Valen. At this, Valen seems to relent from her anger at Senya and Arkan and decides to lend her power to stop Tenebrae. 
Valkorion attempts to control Valen's mind, but Valen had long since broken his chains and she blasted the Valkorion form out of existence with Force Lightning. Then Arcan, Senya, Valen, and Thexen attacked Tenebrae together to give the commander a chance to reach the Jedi Temple at the center of Satel's mind. There, Grandmaster Satel Shan waits, meditating with her students' bodies lying around her in a circle. But before the commander can awaken Sean, all three forms of Tenebrae appear within the temple. Tenebrae proclaims that he controls Sean's mind and then draws upon the dark side to unleash a massive blast of force energy, destroying the recreation of the temple. In spite of the effort of Satil Sean, her students, the commander, and their many allies, it appeared that Tenebrae was just too strong. He destroyed the Jedi, the last bit of the... He destroyed the Jedi Temple, the last bit of protection left in Satil's mind, and was prepared to destroy the last vestiges of Satil and take control. But looks can be deceiving, and, as we all know, Satil Shan is no weak-willed puppet. As Valkorion and the Sith Emperor gloat over their victory, Shan rises from her meditation and rips victory from the jaws of defeat one last time. It's a trap. Grandmaster Satel Shan revealed that everything happening within her mind was part of a trap meant to ensnare and destroy Tenebrae once and for all. She knew that Tenebrae was too proudful and he would attempt to dominate the mind of the master, not one of her weak students, and Satel was ready. She, she knew that Tenebrae would tear through her mind and those of her students gathering strength and power as he went until he reached the center of Shan's mind, the core of her being. Satel knew it was risky to allow Tenebrae to gain power, but she had no other choice and she had to wait for help to arrive. The center of her mind was the only place where Tenebrae couldn't change. The center of her mind was the only place Tenebrae couldn't change using his power. Satel's willpower was too strong to be molded and shaped, and once the commander who had already defeated Valkorion arrived, she sprung the trap. The center of her mind, which once resembled the Jedi Temple, was revealed to be a wide, rocky platform floating high above the other platforms. Without the ability to change Satel's mind, the three forms of Tenebrae were trapped, and Satel was prepared to end it. Whereas the commander maintained a safe di- distance from Tenebrae's forms, Shan walked up to them without an ounce of fear, and this unnerved each of the forms. For a moment, it appeared that Shan, that Shan had become too arrogant and too sure of her victory. After all, it was still the three forms of Tenebrae against just Satel Shan and the commander. Those aren't exactly overwhelmingly favorable odds. But, of course, Shan has thought of everything. She had let Tenebrae believe he was invincible until that very moment when he, fu- when he was fully caught in the trap with no means of escape. Then she called in the cavalry. Yes, the commander was essential because they had the power to defeat Tenebrae, but they would need much more than that if they hoped to prevail. First, Shan's four remaining Padawans rose and joined their master. Then, all the allies who had joined on the mission thus far from a, emerged from a portal behind the commander. Arkan, Senya Tural, Mitra Surik, Darth Maar, Revan, Scourge, Kira Carson, Thexen, and Valen were all there. Shan had called them all together against Tenebrae, had called them together after Tenebrae scattered them throughout her mind palace, and now the 15 allies stood together. Tenebrae saw the host opposing him and prepared to fight. 
There was nowhere else to go, no additional time to gather more power, and that only left one option. Seeing this, Tenebrae called upon the dark side and consolidated each of his three forms, and then took on the, the appearance of a taller version of Valkorion with glowing red eyes. He also summoned more dark side shades to aid against so many enemies. A ferocious battle ensued that saw Valkorion unleash torrents of force lightning and absorb several deadly lightsaber blows only to keep fighting. Valkorion was eventually defeated, but the Sith Emperor form emerged to take up the fight. Even taller than the Valkorion form, the Sith Emperor wielded a massive red lightsaber and had grown, and had grown to double the, the height of an average human. The Sith Emperor lashed out, throwing his opponents back and barraging them with dark side energy. He also unleashed even more shades to obstruct and delay the commander and their allies, but Satil gave strength to her comrades and healed those who were wounded, sustaining the fight. Slowly but surely, the Sith Emperor was weakened and defeated. As the Sith Emperor form faded, Tenebrae finally emerged and unleashed over a thousand years of pent-up rage. Though he appeared normal height at first, Tenebrae began to grow during the fight, feeding on the fear and chaos until he was at least three times as tall as a human. Tenebrae called upon his knowledge of Sith magic and the dark side to defend himself. He tossed enemies across the rocky platform with the force and hit them with concentrated blasts of dark side energy, but it was not enough. Whatever Tenebrae tried, Satil Shine matched by healing her allies and boosting them with her skills in battle meditation, just like her ancestor Bastil Shan. It took some time, but the commander and their allies defeated Tenebrae at last, though he had one more ace in the hole. Blasting the commander and their allies back, Tenebrae split into three forms and began drawing upon the dark side, attempting to possess the commander and gain the, and gain and gain the advantage. At first, Tenebrae's last gas plan appeared to be working, but Satil was prepared, having planned for everything, even this. Tenebrae used his power to force the commander to rise and overwhelm their mind, but Satil used that time to project a protective force barrier around the group of allies. This allowed the others to rise and lend their strength to, to the commander to fight off Tenebrae. Tenebrae might be able to dominate one of them, but not all of them. Not this time. The three forms of Tenebrae tried to break Shan's barrier, but the dark side energy began to wane, and that's when Satel called in every reinforcement she could muster. Suddenly, the platform was, was filled with projections of hundreds of beings who had opposed Tenebrae over the millennia, most of whom were long dead. Much like the conclusion of Avengers Endgame, the reinforcements poured in from portals in Shan's mind. These new faces form into three groups, those wronged, by Val those wronged by Valkorion, those wronged by the Sith Emperor, and then everyone else who held a grudge against Tenebrae generally. Representatives or force projections of, of everyone that Tenebrae had betrayed, manipulated, and murdered all gathered against him. A host of Zakulin civilians, members of the Knights of Zakul, and members of the Scions of Zakul gathered behind Sinya, Arkan, Thexen, and Valen to oppose Valkorion. Next, the children of the Emperor, such as Jedi Master Seo Bakarn and Suri, gathered behind Kira Carson and Scourge to oppose the Sith Emperor. Finally, Jedi and members of the true Sith Empire who were killed during the scouring of Zyost gathered behind Mitra Surik to oppose Tenebrae. 
In total, hundreds stood on the platform in Sean's mind, but they represented millions, millions more who had stood up against Tenebrae in one way or another. Tenebrae tried to keep up the fight, but those opposed to him knew his weakness and his fear knew his weakness and his fear of death, and their combined strength was too much even for Tenebrae's formidable powers. Finally, Revan stepped forward and said that the Force always seeks balance, and the three forms of Tenebrae began to falter. Tenebrae attempted to claim dominion over the Force and his own mortality, but the commander declared that, in the end, Tenebrae was nothing. The three forms of Tenebrae then each turned to stone and crumbled into dust. So it was that Tenebrae, or whatever the hell you want to call him, finally met his permanent end in the mind of Satel Shan. After Tenebrae's death, all those who helped went unconscious as they left Satel's mind, but, but the Jedi Grandmaster had a few more words for the commander. When the commander awoke, they were in a campfire surrounded by a forest. All the others were gone at this point. Theron, Sean, Scourge, and Kira Carson awoke first and took Sean's students back to Coruscant for medical aid and much-needed rest. Arcan and Sinya had already returned to Odessa, in which they now considered their home. Meanwhile, Satel says the dead, the dead allies who aided them, Revan, Mitrasuric, Darth Mar, Thexan, and Valen, became one with the Force and found their peace. The only, run, the only ones who remained were the only ones who remained in Satel's mind were the Commander and Grandmaster Chatil and the and the projection of a cozy campfire. Sean wanted to speak with the Commander privately and thank them for finally defeating Tenebrae. Both could feel his presence was gone from the galaxy forever, and their relief was palpable. But more importantly, Shan also thanked the Commander for befriending Theron and giving him the home and family she never could. For the first time in many, many years, we see Satelshan let her guard down, and she shares a warm smile with the commander. She's no longer the unsure Jedi Padawan we met above Korriban in 3681, or the firebrand Jedi Knight who sprinted across Alderaan to save it from the Sith in 3637, or 3667. By 3626, Satel's once jet black hair had started to gray, and wrinkles lined her face, but... As she proved against Tenebrae, her powers were not diminished one bit. If anything, Satel Shan was more powerful at age 73 than she had been as a young Jedi Master, and she was prepared to lead the Jedi Order into the future. And for the first time in 1,487 years, it was a future free of Tenebrae's dark influence. Satel thanked the commander one last time, and they agreed to try and create a better future for the galaxy together. Then the commander awoke on their ship with Lana Benico looking on. Benico was worried that the commander had been unconscious for an hour after the others had left. The commander thanked Lana for her concern and agreed to explain everything on the trip back to Odessan. As their shuttle departs for home, and with Tenebrae finally gone for good, Echoes of Oblivion comes to an end. Nah, just kidding. There's a very brief epilogue to Echoes of Oblivion, and it involves a character we haven't seen or heard from since the beginning of Series 7. Okay, let's back up. In Episode 7.1 and 7.2, we briefly focused on a young Jedi Knight named Aaron Lanier, who, in 3653, ignored the orders of the Jedi and traveled to Coruscant to take revenge on Darth Malgus for the murder of her master, Vin Zalo. Lanier arrived during the final day of the true Sith Empire's sack of Coruscant and dueled Malgus two separate times on the city planet. 
During their second fight, Lanier nearly murdered Malgus's Twi'lek lover, Alina Daru, but couldn't bring herself to embrace the dark side. Instead, Aaron Lanier continued to fight Malgus and was eventually defeated. However, Malgus refused to kill Lanier, returning the favor after she had spared Alina Daru earlier. As far as we know, this is the only act of restraint and thanks we ever see from Malgus in all of Swotor. After escaping Coruscant, Lanier was exiled from the Jedi Order for disobeying rules and nearly restarting the Great Galactic War while the, the peace treaty was being hammered out. The young Jedi accepted her ex exile, though they left an avenue open for her to return in the future if she wanted. In the aftermath, Aaron Lanier settled on Dantooine with Zerid Kor, the smuggler who had helped her travel to Coruscant in the first place, and Kor's daughter. Lanier and the Kors would live quietly on Dantooine for the next 27 years until 3626. Now fast forward to 3626. You'll recall that at the end of the last update, Malgus was traveling to Dantooine after the Battle of Corellia, believing that something or someone on Dantooine held the key to breaking the Sith mind control over him. Well, one tiny piece of info we failed to include from the very end of the last update was that Aaron Lanier shows up briefly. Just days after the true Sith fleet was destroyed at the, at the Battle of Corellia, Aaron Lanier felt a disturbance in the forest as her old nemesis Darth Malgus landed on Dantooine. We don't know what transpired between Lanier and Malgus at that time, whether he took Kor and his daughter hostage or asked for asylum or something else, because it's only a half-second glimpse. That info will presumably... That info will presumably inform whatever content update come ne comes next. We only know that days after Malgus's arrival, Aaron Lanier traveled alone to the Jedi Head Temple on Coruscant to find Grandmaster Satel Shan and tell her story. In the present day, shortly after the death of Tenebrae in 3626, the Jedi Temple is bustling and Shan has resumed her old post as the leader of the Order. As Echoes of Oblivion ends, Lanier enters the temple and approaches Sean, who's very interested to hear her story, though the exact nature and circumstances are left completely ambiguous. Then the screen fades to black and leaves us with a cliffhanger about the fate of Darth Malgus, who now serves as the lone remaining loose end from Sotor. Of course, that cliffhanger almost certainly means that there will be at least one more content update for Swotor to settle the fate of Malgus and explain the end of the true Sith Empire once and for all. Back in episode 7.1, we said the series would follow the careers of Satel Shan and Darth Malgus directly, we just didn't know how right we would end up being. They started out as bitter enemies dueling on a space station above Korriban and have since risen to claim power and utterly failed in their endeavors. Now, after Echoes of Oblivion, Satil Sean's story has wrapped up quite quite nicely and she's back serving as the Grandmaster of the Jedi Order. So it only makes sense that we would get one final content update to wrap up Darth Malgus' story too. With that, we'll end this epilogue in 3626 BBY with the fate of Malgus and the contents of Lanier's story as yet unknown. That's where everything from that's where everything in Swotor, from the prologues to the most recent update for on, for the Onslaught story expansion, stands as of February sixteenth, twenty twenty one. We'd say this is the end of Swotor, but that seems unlikely. That seems highly unlikely. So we'll just say, see you next epilogue. And with that, 
Thank you once again for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic. Since I am not good at these things, I am not going to do the outro. But I did want to thank you once again for listening and say, may the Force be with you. <laughs>